Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Fear will keep the local systems in line. Fear of this battle station. <laughs> Welcome, Masters and Padawans, to a special release of Full of Sick. I'm your host, Brian Young, and uh, I just wanted to welcome you to this. Uh, this is a really interesting interview I got to do with Pablo Hidalgo. Uh, for some of you, you might know that Pablo wrote a book earlier this year called Star Wars Propaganda, which is a, uh, an in-universe history of propaganda in the Star Wars universe. So it's actually technically not Pablo written, writing it, it's Janior of Bith, uh, who is a, a historian inside the universe, going through the movements of uh, art that helped influence the galaxy, um, and it, it tells really interesting stories, it tells interesting stories about how the uh, public opinion was turned against the Jedi, it tells about how the Rebellion used propaganda in-universe to, uh, you know, to fight the Empire, and it's just, it's, it's one of those really, really, um, great books that I, I just love the idea, I love the execution, it's so well written, and it's, it's the sort of thing that I really, I mean, that, that inspires me to do the other podcast I do, uh, which hopefully some of you check out called, uh, Fothentic History, um, which basically takes that same sort of look at history from that uh, fictional history from that that lens as though it were real, and so this this book seemed perfect for me, especially since I'm a nerd for uh, World War II propaganda and World War One propaganda. This 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 fired on all cylinders. So without further ado, here's my interview with Pablo Hidalgo about propaganda. Well, thanks for talking to me for for any period of time about this book i really enjoyed it oh thanks um the the first thing i wanted to ask you about the book though is that obviously it takes a lot of cues from real life propaganda mm -hmm. and i'm wondering uh sort of where the genesis of that idea came from were you just wandering through a museum was it one of the publishers who said we should do this or uh where did where did that come from the idea for the book itself actually came to me more or less fully formed from the packager of the product, which is in this case is Becker and Meyer. So um, it was editor De Delia Grieve kind of sent me a note. I, we might have met like face to face at some sort of event. Maybe she was here in the office and she said, oh, I've got something that I really want you to work on. But she wouldn't tell me what it was at first. And then it was only like a few weeks later that she sent me a description of what it is they were aiming to do. And it, it, it like, it was perfect. I mean, it was it was exactly the kind of book I would I was wanting to do for a while. 
Uh, and it just turns out that I am sort of a, I'm not exactly a collector, but I do, I do a lot of research into propaganda art. Like I, I, uh, I'm a huge, uh, fan of the Imperial War Museum in, uh, in London. And every time business takes me overseas, uh, to London, I always try to hit the Imperial War Museum and they've got amazing examples there as well as a really well-stocked, um, uh, library and, and gift shop with, with all sorts of books on the subject. And my sort of fanciful notion in the back of my mind, it would be like, man, I wish I could make a Star Wars book that the Imperial War Museum would carry in their gift shop. And so that was sort of my unstated objective with this project. Um, so there's there's obviously like a degree of propaganda posters that, that we've kind of had in the real world. And some of them range from ridiculous. Like, I'm not sure if you, I'm sure you've probably seen the one with uh, Hitler is like a ghost in some guy's passenger seat. So if you're not carpooling, you're helping Hitler. Yes, um, exactly. Was there, like, where where did you draw the line for that sort of like tongue in cheek ridiculousness for this book, or was it, or was it something that the the publisher said, "Here's all the art, go to and write stuff." Um, most of the, well, it was always, a, it was a mix because some of the art was already generated for other projects. So we just kind of folded it into the narrative of the book, but in other cases we needed to generate something new and, uh, Star Wars, I mean, to me always works best when it's rooted in some sort of real world analogy, some sort of, um, historical context. And, and so a lot of the world war one and world war two art, which now like the ideas and the themes seem almost quaint in comparison to the sophisticated messages that we get nowadays. Um, it just felt right. Like it felt right for there to be that kind of stuff that, although we think of it maybe as a bit ridiculous nowadays, it was created in all earnestness back in the day. So um, the line itself really wasn't hardly, uh, it wasn't this hard line that we had to tread. It was, it was just, you know, take inspiration where you could get it. Yeah, with, um, with the book, it seems like uh, it it tells this story that's sort of slowly unfolded through the prequels and the Clone Wars about mm -hmm. the the turn of the turn of sentiment against the Jedi. That seems almost subtle, but looking at it from the propaganda angle, it seems like you've been able to like connect those dots in a in a more clear way than we've seen uh, in in the franchise elsewhere. And I'm wondering if you could, you could talk about that, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think so. I mean, one of the things that the format of the book afforded us to do by making it in universe and giving it a distinct voice, uh, in this case being January Biff being the, the author of it. Um, it let us talk about in universe subjects with a bit of an editorial voice, which is hard to do when you're trying to be a dispassionate third person omniscient narrator and other guidebooks that we've done so as a result you know uh the author in this case the fictional author of this book can cut to certain chases and 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 make clear things that were only subtext in, in some of the other material that we've done because uh, he's got a point of view he's got a point of view of what happened to the republic he's got a point of view of what happened to the jedi um you know i i, I suppose because he's you know he's a he's a He's a fallible mortal writing about a historical subject. You know, you're, you can disagree with what he has to say, but uh, I think it's a, a compelling point of view. Granted, I'm biased, but I think it's it's an attempt to to have someone who lived through this all, who would have 
been centrally located during the war and as a result had knowledge of the Jedi, but he also witnessed the galaxy kind of forget them and, and, and change their opinion on the Jedi. And so, um, you know, that's a, that's a unique position to be in to explain all that, how that happened. How, how important do you think is examine, are examinations like this, um, not, not just in Star Wars, but in the real world, to go back and say, like, this is where, our, this is where the media of the time brought us? I, you know, I mean, I, there's obviously... It's so funny, somebody... I, I get this, this comment, like, wow, this is such a timely book, like, because there's so much happening in this world today that reflects this, you know, there's discussion nowadays about how media influences things like this past election and whatnot, and it's like... Uh, the reason it's timely is because that's always been a reality that we we face. I mean, we we have this uh, we recognize it now, uh, but it's always there. So this book is, is kind of always relevant because ever since we learned how to communicate to the masses, um, we've been using it for various agendas. So I think I think it's it's an interesting topic, um, and I'm hoping that it inspires people to look at the real world examples from either recent history or, you know, just, you know, decades ago. So, um, One thing that you, you did in the book that I really loved, and I'm probably, like, the only person who got excited about it, um, was the inclusion of Paolo as one of the artists. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm wondering if you could talk about, like, why you decided to do that and how hard it was to come up with, like, what you would call, like, the names of the years and the month on that, that invitation that he... <laughs> that he did for, for Amidala's uh, inauguration. Sure. It was, so, you know, we, we were, uh, when looking at the, when looking at the timeline suggested by the book and, and, the, and the content that would be there to be, you know, you wanted to have uh, the first chapter to really sell you the notion that it's, it's uh, a more peaceful, elegant age before the war came. So we wanted to come up with messages that showed you what it was like uh, before war swept the galaxy. And, and the real-world analogy that I was looking at, because I was looking at a lot of uh, World War I and World War II stuff, is you know the, the idea of having a, a story about a coronation, because that felt like uh, as far removed from some of the more brutal wartime messages you'd have. So something like really sophisticated, really classy. So um, you know, the timeline obviously suggests that it should be uh, Amadala's coronation. So I, I did research on on what, you know, old turn-of-the-century coronation messages would be like and I adapted that for Naboo. Uh, and it was one of those things that just, in the genesis of it, it's like, well, it's, it's, why not be Paulo? Why, why not, since he went on to become an artist? And, uh, you know, and, and he'd be, the, the Naboo culture obviously elevates and celebrates their young. So even though he would probably be more or less the same age as Amidala, um, it makes sense to have, given that they're willing to make a queen, a 14-year-old a queen, it's like, well, why can't a teenager also be the artist uh, commemorating that? And the dates and all that come from the season four, or are suggested by the season four episode of Clone Wars, the, the finale of the box arc, where we find out a little bit more about Naboo's history, because... Uh, there's a, an assassination attempt or a kidnapping attempt on Palpatine during, you know, a, a major Naboo holiday. So that became a source of, of uh, inspiration as well to, you know, how the Naboo culture looks at their history. 
Um, one of the other things I found interesting, I don't want to harp on, on Paulo too much, but he was one of those characters <laughs> I was always fascinated by. And I like uh-huh. how you just sort of threw away in the the end of the book with just the short bios of the artists that he ends up in like a labor camp for the empire and like creating art for the rebellion. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm wondering like, as you're going through and crafting, not just for Paulo, but for uh, biographies for all of these artists, sort of like, what are you going back and looking to and, and how much of a free hand do you have? I imagine you probably have a more free hand to do this than just about anybody, but to tie that into other things in Star Wars. The the bios especially, what I was trying to do is just come up with something that like is at least compelling, um, that suggests more stories could be told about some certain characters. There are certain threads among the artists. Like if you if you follow through, you you realize like you know one artist made the the transition of of pushing too much against the the stylistic boundaries of the empire, and he got and he gets you know uh, arrested and, and put away because uh, he did something that offended the. I think he offended Grand Moff Tarkin because of the execution of some of his art. So it's it's trying to come up with bios that could otherwise be dry and you know not very interesting, and but suggest story in and of themselves. And if someone wants to take that and take Paulo and do a story about him, that'd be great. So um, I didn't want to close off too many uh, loops there, as it were, but just give enough interesting information that shouldn't inspire someone that they take it and run with it. Well, it feels very much like like the the postscripts to American Graffiti for all of them. That's exactly what I was going for. <laughs> really, I, like seriously? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Absolutely. I I I, I kind of love the that device to uh, again suggest that lies move on from the end of one story and um, and just gives you this kernel of an idea to imagine what's the next chapter in someone's life. Yeah, well, in in American Graffiti, it's so heart heartbreaking too, where it's just like, "Yep, he died," and um, like, "Well, that was all right. based." Uh, <laughs> but at the same time, it's like it it sold the George's use of that made you think, "Oh, this is a real story," and that's because of the the nature of this book. We were trying to uh, suggest that no, this is this is real. This is what it's like to be in the Star Wars universe. So let's give these people you know, identities and backgrounds and histories and futures. Um, it was interesting to see sort of all of the, all of the different eras of star Wars represented or all the different characters or the characters we've seen or heard of as artists, um, like Sabine as well. And I'm wondering, um, like, was it natural to fold her in or was that because it seems like she's so much of a freedom fighter and she does her art on her own, her own terms was putting her in the book like this. Um, did that veer too close to telling people what might happen with her? I mean, I don't think we, it does. I don't think it does either. And, um, you know, it, it, people have read into some of the captions and wonder, Oh, has her fate been determined? And I, I suppose you could read that, but I, I think I kept it kind of vague. Um, but Sabine was a natural to put in this. I mean, like if you remember, all the the PR and marketing messages that surrounded the launch of Rebels, there was very much a propaganda theme to it. And, um, you know, just Sabine has an aesthetic that counters a lot of the aesthetics that we were doing in the Imperial propaganda that came up around that time. So it just seemed like a natural to put her in this. Um, There's, I'm curious about some of the art. Like I know there was, there was pieces of art that I thought, 
had originated on the internet or that it had just originated like some fan put them together like the the loose lips bring down starships piece which is mm-hmm. which evokes that world war ii thing and and going through like i can't find any information about uh you you keep it artist unknown in universe but also i wasn't able to find out anything about the actual artist in the context of the book either and i'm wondering um were there any unorthodox or or drastically different sorts of places the art came from that we wouldn't expect that I mean that the the art was really pulled together by um, the, the the team at Becker and Meyer. So they did the initial pull um, to to put it all together, and um, and uh, so I honestly didn't know all the sources that they mined uh, in order to get what they they wanted. the The tricky thing is there's a lot of art that probably I mean I would characterize it as as representing Star Wars as a brand and less as an in-universe story. So there was always this challenge of, you know, wanting to get Vader into this art, but I honestly don't think in the Star Wars universe, Vader is actually a propaganda element. I can imagine the rebels using it perhaps, but not so much the empire. Uh, Cause I don't think he really is like in universe, a legitimate symbol uh, as much as he is like a, a you know a poster element for the Star Wars brand, so whenever we had elements like the Death Star or Vader in there, we had to kind of bend the narrative to accommodate that art in the story. And so you'll find a lot of pieces that are said like you know we're only internal, like the kind of thing that maybe just only hung up in the break room of an Imperial installation, as opposed to something that was propagated uh, galaxy wide. Yeah, no, it, it's it's certainly an interesting. Um, trade-off the way you handled all that narratively. Um, and is, I mean, that's, that feels like something that, that's sort of um, common, more common to the newer era of Star Wars, that idea that Vader is sort of more in the shadows and not as well-known. Mm-hmm. Um, well, he's, he's just not, he's not the symbol. I mean, especially before the events of uh, uh, the Empire Strikes Back. I mean, after that, when he's put in charge of a fleet, I could see that being the case. And the same thing with Luke. Like, there's a, there's a lot of art out there that puts Luke front and center, and there's none of that in the book because I, I just don't buy that Luke became this symbol, this this champion, um, after the events of uh, of Star Wars blowing up the Death Star. So some of the early expanded universe made a point of, of trying to state that, but I always think in the back of my mind that Lando Calrissian did not recognize the name Luke Skywalker and he's a pretty well connected guy and so um, it's like so how, how how persuasive is the argument that Luke was the symbol of the rebellion after the Death Star if Lando doesn't know who he is yeah um, one thing I was surprised to not see actually was the old ads uh, for the Imperial Navy from the old West End game oh yeah like when I saw your name there, on, on this, I just assumed that would be a shoe-in. We may have. I'm trying to remember if I put a, a recommendation of using something like that, but it might be that we just don't have those, you know, that that original material anymore. Mm-hmm. So, um, is that? I mean, that's certainly. I mean, if nothing else, you certainly evoked the feeling I got going through those old ads. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd almost like as I was flipping through this, knowing how much you like, like. Uh, like in Shadowrun books, how they just have like sections that were ads, like drawn ads for products in that universe. Yeah. Uh, and then thinking back to those old Astromech 
uh, like blueprint sort of advertisements in those West End games. Mm-hmm. It seems like advertising would not be a a bad place to go next. No, it's it's very uh, it's very similar. But I think what's different about those is those were really presented as magazine ads. Yeah, and uh, these are more like posters and, and wall hangings that you would see. Is there is there a piece of art from this book that uh, that you'd consider hanging in your in your home or office? <laughs> oh man, uh, yeah, I like the I like the, some of the more obscure stuff, or um, you know, I, I I like the more overt World War II messages from the the Clone Wars, the buying Republic war bonds and, and things like that. Um, the support the boys in white, those kinds of messages, I, I think, were great because I always thought, uh, I, w- I really wish we saw more of that during the, the Clone Wars series. Uh, so this is just sort of like going back and and and, uh, and filling out that material. With um, the you being sort of uh, a, a lover of the original stuff from World War One and World War Two, is there a favorite? Is there a favorite poster? from that era that, that if you could get your hands on an original, you'd, you'd be interested in hanging on your wall. There's I, always, there's a, there's these, I know there's these quaint ones from world war one, um, that really encouraged people to, you know, grow their, really grow their own food. So victory gardens and things like that. And there was just one just really encouraging you to become a pig farmer. <laughs> and, uh, and there's just something like the message is just so blunt, like get a pig. And it's, it's pretty great. It's, it's like, okay, we'll do our part. And also just coming from Canada, the the ones that really make mention of the Canadian efforts in, in both wars. Um, there's some, there's some beautiful art there. Yeah. Well, and then there's like really hilariously ridiculous stuff like that carpooling with Hitler. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I can't like when I saw that particular piece in, uh, the Smithsonian the first time I was just gobsmacked like people, <laughs> Like that was something that spoke to people at one point. Yeah, the closest we did a nod to that is there's one in the, in the propaganda book, which is like slow your speed and share your speeder, yeah, yeah. assure our victory about commuting, conserving, and contributing. You know, if we if we really wanted to push that, there'd be like an invisible Dooku, but that felt like a little <laughs> too much. So then you'd get people saying like, "He's a force ghost." See. <laughs> um. How long did it take you to put this book together? Like, as far as your writing is concerned, that that kind of thing always fascinates me. I'm not sure how how fascinating anybody else finds it, but I do. <laughs> it's all, geez, it's kind of a blur. I want to say that it took, I don't know, it feels like less than a month, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, this whole thing came together pretty quickly, and the only sort of, uh, like, there was a gap in time where more art was kind of, com- where more art was commissioned to fill in the work, and so that you know, the once it came in, it, it all turned around really quickly. Um, w- with projects like this, um, is your process different than what you'd have uh, an outside writer coming in, or is this the sort of thing that pretty much only you can work on because you're sort of so entrenched with everything? Well, I, I do think another uh, another author could have done something like this, uh, but 
I mean, I, I get the benefit of knowing some of the content that's coming in the future, well, knowing all of the content that's coming in the future, and then making sure that the stuff that's in the book either is reflective of that, accommodates it. And I'll be honest, like there might be some Easter eggs in here that will pay off as more content comes to, to the forefront. So that's the kind of thing that I, I like to think that only I could contribute when I, when I uh, work on a book like this. But um, as an author, it's, I, I make sure that whatever I write, then I don't, I don't become the person who signs off on it entirely. Like, uh, you know, the rest of the story group, particularly Leland and Matt, look at it, and they look at it as dispassionately as if this would have come from an outside author, and I want them to do that to keep me honest, to make sure that I'm not, you know, uh, doing something that we would not have allowed any other author to do. So I kind of recuse myself from the uh, uh, editorial tasks that I would normally do from the story group and insist that uh, it gets looked at um, uh, through that lens. Having having gone through it and and having put it put it together and taken so much of that um, Star Wars teaches so much that the authors behind it have learned from history and cinema and everything else um, by putting this together in this way what is it that you hope people take out of it or can take out of it well I, I hope it, it creates an interest in the wartime communication that, that has happened historically I hope that you know, if a, if an image crosses the path of a Star Wars fan, that then they recognize, hey, I saw a Star Wars version of that, uh, and then maybe it, it provokes them to do a little bit of research or just find out more about it. Um, you know, I, that that's George always thought of his entertainment as a way to teach, but not so heavy-handed. It was more like to create these subtle reinforcements so that you'd be introduced to an, a name or an idea through Star Wars or Young Indy, for instance, and then perhaps be encouraged to read more about it because you saw them in the context of a story that interested you. Um, and I guess you could pro- like Young Indy would probably be another. You could just do a real book through the lens of Young Indy like this. Um, oh, absolutely. With I, I love I love like these kind of artifact books, you know, and, and I think Indy lends itself to that. The, the idea that someone living within the fictional world has decided to catalog it and brings with it their inside knowledge and their point of view. I think it just it becomes a really compelling read that way to me. Is that something... Um, I, I know with, like, young indie, uh, that was something that, that George Lucas was really passionate about, packaging with all of those behind-the-scenes, or those documentaries, historical documentaries, to kind of help give that context. Mm-hmm. And... Um, that was something that he was very upfront about talking about the history that inspired star Wars. Uh, is that something that's still sort of, uh, at the back of everyone's mind or is that just sort of a relic of, of people left over from his days that, that star Wars well, gets I, that? I do think it's, it's always an opportunity and if it makes sense to, to pursue it, we will do it. Um, a lot of that stuff came out of, and particularly star Wars. Like you think of like the, the Star Wars and history documentary that we, we made, a lot of that came from celebrating the back catalog stuff. And, and, you know, as you know, we're always now in constant production. So there's, there's more opportunity to talk about what's coming up next, as opposed to what just came out from, from another uh, angle. But that said, the fact that we're still going out there and doing museum tours, we're still, 
going out there and, and um, talking about Star Wars to those who want to talk about it. And we've got folks like Cole Horton who's, who's blogging about the, the real-world components of Star Wars. So I think it's always going to be a, a topic that's, that's of interest, and uh, it's an angle that we could always uh, bring up to just, you know, to talk about this story from, from the real-world point of view. I, I mean, do you, have you found that in your life sort of useful to relate to the real world through the lens of Star Wars? I think it's it's to me it's it's how do you make uh, how do you make a Star Wars story just feel accessible and and it's like a really simple and very economical way to add an instant weight to something because you don't even have to be. Like it could just be a subtle addition, and for whatever reason, it just it it just triggers a part of your mind that remembers our history, and instantly it's like, oh, okay, I get that. This makes sense, and now I I have a bigger uh, understanding of the fictional world. Um, you know, just little things like putting Empire Day in season one of, of Rebels. Like we could like we didn't spend a lot of time explaining to you what it was, but just by having the, this imagery, the sound and evoking all these things that we know from history it's like you instantly get a sense of what it's like to live in that time or even um was that you who named chancellor villacham yeah i was um <laughs> it seems like there's always like a neville chamberlain and a, a winston churchill there was that bit <laughs> recently uh about that mon calmari who's like star wars is winston churchill. Yeah, yeah. Um, you can't help it. It's like these, these things loom large, and it's like when we're you know you're shooting the uh, you know the Rogue One Rebel officers, like you just can't shake the RAF feel about it all because I mean for one thing we were we were shooting in an old uh, RAF uh, uh, aircraft hangar, you know. So it's yeah. Like, it's just always going to be part of the DNA of it all. And and I think that's that's what I think a lot of people love about Star Wars is that verisimilitude that it. I don't know, at least for me being a history nerd, it uh, it certainly activates my imagination in ways that I don't think I get in other places. Mm-hmm. Um, so, well, that's pretty close to all the time we've got for this time. Uh, thank you. Cool. Thank you for talking to me about it. No problem. I, I really did. I really enjoyed the book. It, it punched all of the right Star Wars and history nerd buttons for me. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. It, then, then I feel like I've, I did my job with it. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll uh, I'll let you go. Enjoy the rest of your uh, very slow day at work. <laughs> Will do. Have a good one. Yeah, I I really like talking to Pablo about stuff like this. Uh, he's just probably, I mean, he is the most knowledgeable Star Wars fan, and it's just his great fortune that he gets to write uh, in the universe and that he gets to. Uh, you know, make decisions about the universe and work in it and play in it every day. And uh, pretty envious of that. That's uh, certainly the dream. Uh, so for uh, uh, propaganda, you can find that in print wherever books are sold or uh, you can order it online. And I would recommend that you get it. It comes with 10 prints of some of the... Uh, it comes with 10 prints of some of the art that's in the book, that's featured in the book. And it just tells a lot of really great stories that you don't necessarily, um, you wouldn't necessarily imagine in the Star Wars universe. So uh, you can find Pablo online on Twitter at Pablo Hidalgo. Uh, ask him about Transformers or something. He probably hears enough about Star Wars.
And uh, you can find me online. You can find me at Swankmotron. Uh, or you can find me, um, I write short stories uh, on Patreon. You can find me at patreon.com forward slash Swankmotron. And uh, you can find my writing regularly at starwars.com and a whole bunch of other places. So for Full of Sith, uh, please, if you can, review the show. Uh, if you'd like to leave us a message, go to our website, which is fullofsith.com, and leave us a message on the SpeakPipe app, and uh, that would be great. We'd love to hear your feedback. And, uh, you know, don't hesitate to leave a message or leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever else you listen to the podcast. And uh, without further ado then, for Pablo Hidalgo, for my regular co-hosts on the show, uh, past and present, uh, I am Brian Young, and the Force will be with you, always. If you'll not be meeting me, I'll close down for a while. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.